0: welcome to the podcast of harvest baptist church in harvest alabama we invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into god's word with our pastor dr al Piringer. well tonight i want to look in daniel uh, chapter one at least try and get started in this interesting book and it is an interesting book it has a lot of interesting parts Um, It has maybe what some people might think of as confusing parts uh, as well, but in all honesty, this book might be uh, something that is beneficial to us in our day and age, um, because we're talking about God's people living in a hostile land. How in the world did they do it? How? did they serve God and glorify God in the middle of a hostile land? Um, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of other stuff in here about prophecies and, and things like that we want to dig our, our teeth into. Things you, stories you might want to dig a little deeper into. But at its base, you have to remember that God's people were not Home. They were no longer in the promised land. They were in Babylon. They were in the land of an invader. They were in a hostile land. How did they do it? How did they still live um, for God? And and I think it's important for us to approach this book um, from that sense because let's face it, I mean we're in the same shape. We are God's people in a hostile land. Um, we are not home, even though we let you know we like to treat this place like it's our home, and we we want to try and get all comfy here. But ultimately, if you're one of God's people, this is not your home. You know as the Gospel song says, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. But right now, we're in hostile territory, and in all honesty, it's just getting more and more hostile toward Christ and toward our faith every day. You have a children's company making children's programming that has a specific agenda. And let's face it, they own a whole lot of property, they own a whole lot of intellectual property, and they're going to try and use it to push an agenda that is anti-God. And that's something that I'm struggling with because of a specific intellectual property that they own. Yeah, obviously, you know I'm talking about Disney and Star Wars. What do I do with it? That that is something got to wrestle with. Got to deal with. Because my first loyalty and really my ultimate loyalty is with God through Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. Disney is not going to last forever. Star Wars is not going to last forever, although it seems like it's just going to keep going on forever. It's not going to last forever. There's only one eternal God, and I serve him, and I don't serve anybody else. So what do we do with that? How what are we to do, you know, and that's just one example of the hostility toward the Christian faith. How are we to live? Francis Schaefer asked that question in a book, how do we live, how do we live, and then uh, Chuck Colson expanded that, you know, how do we, how do we live now in the world um, that we're at? Well, over the next, however long it's going to take us to get through Daniel, you know, I hope that we, we have some themes that we pick up on, and, and, and we're going to have to travel this road together. We're going to have to try and figure this out. Living for Christ. You know, a lot of people are talking about Elon Musk and, oh, he bought Twitter, yay! Elon Musk isn't going to save this world. Elon Musk is not the Savior, Jesus Christ is the Savior. What do we do? The first part of Daniel sets the scene for us. It gives us a brief, brief introduction so we know what in the world is going on with Daniel and his friends, why they were in this hostile land uh, to uh, begin with. And, you know, it's good to know these things so we know more what they did to live in that hostile land. Let me read the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So, this is setting the scene for us. Why are we here? Why is Judah here? Why are God's people taken out of the promised land and put into this pagan nation? Why would God allow his people To be taken away and immersed in this hostile land. Well, you know, when you read the rest of the Bible, you get the rest of the story. You get more of the picture. When you read the books of the kings and the books of Chronicles, you see that the nation of Israel, and more specifically, I guess, for for here, the southern kingdom of Judah, you know, Israel was split up between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel was taken into captivity hundred and something years before this, um, by Assyria. But then there was the southern king of Judah, and you read about the southern king of Judah, and you, you read about all of its ups and downs in a spiritual sense. And its ups and downs in a spiritual sense were tied with who was king at the time, or at least that's what it seems like. It was tied to who was king at the time. If the king was good, they seemed to flourish Spiritually. And, and you know, when you read about these kings, they'll, it'll often say that, you know, they, it was someone who took after the heart of David. It was someone who followed their father, their, their ancestor, David, because David was a man after God's own heart. So there were some kings who were good. Now, if the king was bad, the nation would flounder spiritually, and those kings it would be described as they did not follow after the heart of David. They did not follow after their ancestor, David. They did not have a heart for God. And when the nation floundered, and it often did, they fell into flagrant sin and they fell into deep idolatry and paganism. Now God sent prophets to warn them, get straight, Repent. You know, they they, they did the spiritual version of a Leroy Jethro Gibbs slap upside the head. Wake up. Get right with God. What are you doing? But they would often ignore these prophets. And then the wheel was set in motion for judgment because they were dead set on rebelling against God. God's own people. You know, maybe the church needs a few prophets to rise up and Leroy, Jethro, Gibbs slap them upside their heads. I include myself in that, not as the prophet, but the one who needs his head slapped. Maybe we need a little wake-up call. Well, God raised up one final good king in Josiah. He had a heart for worshiping the Lord. He, his, his dad was evil as all get out. His granddad was evil as all get out, but, but he was good. And during his reign, they found a copy of the Word of God. Now, just think about that for a minute. They didn't have the Word of God. What in in the world were they doing? What were they worshiping? How did they know what to do? Well, they didn't. The Word of God had gotten locked up and hidden away in some dusty old corner of the temple. And so for who knows how many decades or even centuries, they were just kind of doing their own thing, not following God. But then, all of a sudden, they were doing some renovations in the temple. Oh, yeah, by the way, King, we found this. Holy smokes, it's the Word of God. It was probably the book of Deuteronomy. And he, he read it, an, and Josiah, who, who had this, this heart for God, he's reading it, and his heart was cut. I mean, it was just so burdened. He's like, holy smokes, we are not doing anything here that we're supposed to be doing. We are not obeying God. The curses that are listed here are upon us. And he called for a great revival amongst the nation. He tore down the, the, the places of false worship. He reinstituted festivals and in, in, in parts of the worship of God that had been lost for who knows how long. And so, yes, he got rid of the places of idolatry and And instituted a lot of changes. And the people went along with him for the most part, but their hearts were still far from God. And the changes that he made were too little, too late. Josiah was killed at a pretty early age in a battle against Egypt. And his sons and his grandsons would take various turns on the the throne. Each of them as wicked as the other, which is weird. How, how could that happen? How could they come from this great, great man? But they were, they were wicked. And they led the nation to its destruction until it literally was destroyed. Jerusalem would eventually be burned down. Every, every rock, every brick in the place torn down. And anything that could burn was burned. And God is the one who brought it upon them. Babylon was God's tool uh, of judgment. They would come, they would turn Judah into a vassal state. They would begin deporting people and, and resources from Judah to bring to Babylon. And, and, and so they, 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 they put Judah under their thumb. So what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, he, he battled Egypt and Assyria in what's called the Battle of Carchemish. And he destroyed the Assyrians, and he pushed the Egyptians, forced them into retreat back into their own land. Well, he swung around to Judah and besieged Jerusalem to make sure that he would get them under their power, because Jehoiakim, who was on the throne, he was set there by Egypt. He was kind of Egypt's puppet king. And so the Egyptian ruler, Necho, put him on the throne, and... He allied with Egypt. He, he, I mean, he wanted Egypt to come and help. Well, hey, let's all get together. Let's fight Babylon. But Babylon just completely routed Egypt. And so now he was getting Judah back under their, their thumbs. But, but notice that it was God who was in complete control of the whole situation. He was the one who was sovereign over everything. He was controlling everything. In fact, when you look at verse 2, it says, God gave them over. God gave Jehoiakim, Judah, and Jerusalem into Babylon's hands. Now, at the time Babylon took credit for what was going on. Hey, look at us. We're, you know, they 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 said well it's because of our might and it's because of the might of our gods that we were able to do this. They even thought that their God defeated Judah's God. But the Bible makes abundantly clear that, no, they were merely a tool in the hands of God, a tool of judgment, a tool of discipline. God was in control. In fact, it's interesting there in, in verse 2 that the word for Lord, you'll notice it is not in all caps, meaning it is not the divine name, Yahweh. It is the word Adonai, which refers to him being the supreme master of over everything. Babylon thought they were the ones that were in control. It was God who was the master. He was the master over Babylon. He was the master over Judah. He was the master over everything. Guess what? He's still master over everything today. And it was time... That God's people learned a lesson and he was going to use a pagan nation to do it he had warned them centuries beforehand what would happen he gave warnings in the book of Leviticus that if you fall away from me and my word this is what is going to come upon you and it happened exactly as God said all those centuries before As one commentator noted, he said, the Lord had warned Israel of the sure consequences of their sins in the book of Leviticus. At the beginning of Israel's history as a nation with God, he made a covenant with them, a covenant that included blessings for obedience and curses if they disobeyed. And it's all found in Leviticus 26. If they served the Lord faithfully and kept the terms of the covenant, then they would experience his favor and blessing, verses 3 through 13. However, if they abandoned him and violated his covenant, they would experience his wrath and disfavor. That's verses 14 through 39 of Leviticus 26. It says specifically that their crops would be ruined and they would become prey for wild animals and for their enemies, verses 19 through 25. And if they persisted in their disobedience, The Lord would scatter them among the nations and they would waste away in exile. Verses 33 and 39. And that is exactly their fate. That is exactly how everything unfolded. Now, it's hard for us to imagine that God would use a wicked people to discipline his own people. That just seems weird to us. You know, it seems weird to the prophet Habakkuk. If you ever if you ever read Habakkuk, it's only three chapters long. In chapter one, Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord about the the sin and the violence that is going on in, in, in Jerusalem. Lord, do you not see violence? I'm crying out to you, violence! Do you not see all this garbage that's going on in Judah? Do something about this this. All this stuff that's going on in Jerusalem and in Judah and things like that. Well, God comes to him and tells him, well, actually, I'm going to be sending Babylon to punish my people. And then Habakkuk, he can't believe it. Now, how in the world are you going to use someone who's even more wicked than us to, uh, to use against us or to discipline us? God's people ignored the warnings. They ignored the calls to repentance that had been coming for centuries. God, who is infinite in mercy, who is slow to anger, who is ready to forgive, he had enough with his people. He had enough. He gave them time. He gave them warnings. He gave them every single chance to repent, and they did not. Makes you wonder, will he do the same thing to his church? If his church is grieving the Holy Spirit, if his church is quenching the Holy Spirit, if his church is lukewarm to the point where he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, and they're being generally disobedient, will not God send discipline? And he might use the pagans of our day to do it. He could use the powers that... I'm I'm also wondering if he's using the powers that be to purge the church. I'm wondering if he's using a virus and the powers that be to purge the church. But ultimately, he wants his church to repent. He wants his church to be obedient. He wants his church to fulfill the Great Commission. He does not want a lukewarm church. So, God will do what he must to get his people in shape. And you also notice that that he he used the the Babylonians to steal, well, they, I don't know if he used them in this way, but, you know, they stole some things from the temple of God and placed them in the temples of their gods. You know, most likely the temple of Marduk, also called Bel. And and they did that, I guess, you know, Babylon did that as a sign of respect to their god. But, you know, supposedly they, they, they did that as a symbol of, well, our God's b- bigger than that God, and so, you know, and, and in fact, you know, later on, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, those, those same vessels used at a wild party right before Babylon falls. But anyway, you know, so supposedly this indicated that Marduk defeated Yahweh, and I'll address that in a minute. But you also think, not only is it hard to imagine that God would use a pagan nation to punish his people, but he would use a pagan nation to defile his temple like that. But the truth is, the Jews had already defiled the temple a long time before that, with their idolatry and their false worship. True worship hadn't happened in the temple in a long time, except maybe for that brief period where Josiah was king. And so God said, I mean, that place is already defiled. So what does it matter what the Babylonians do to it? And then you think about what would happen later. They would rebuild the temple, right? And then in A.D. 70, the same exact thing would happen. The Romans would destroy Jerusalem and would destroy the temple. The Jews again had defiled Their temple, God's temple. But this time, that temple was Jesus Christ. They denied their Messiah. God God didn't need a temple anyway, He's spirit. He's looking for people to worship Him anywhere in spirit and in truth. Both of those are important. That's why we're blessed to have Brian, who leads us to worship in spirit and truth. God is not looking for a whole bunch of hoopla, God is not looking for a bunch of entertainment. God is not looking for, you know, us to be amused. I wonder how many people come to church to be amused. Or go to a church to be amused. Preacher, tickle my ears. Amuse me. God is not honored with that. You're defiling the worship of God. You're defiling his temple, who is us now. And so this ought to give churches some pause about what it is that they do. So, you know, normal, I mentioned earlier that normally a nation would think that, well, if we defeated an, a nation, then our God is stronger than their God. So Nebuchadnezzar thought that Marduk was superior to Yahweh. We know that's not the case. It's clear that God, Yahweh, is in charge of all of these events. He is sovereign, the main theme of Daniel. And he knows what, what he's doing. And later on, as we get through Daniel, he, Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn the sovereignty of God. God's going to do some things to Nebuchadnezzar and make sure that he knows who's in charge. And it's not Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar thinks that it is just because God allows something that we don't like and just because God allows something to happen that we don't understand just because God allows trials and sufferings that does not mean that he is weak that does not mean that he is defeated he is still in charge and he has his reasons and purposes for allowing to happen What happens? Just because God allows certain world events to happen, just because God allows even some personal events to happen, does not mean that he is too weak to stop it. And you know, the enemies of God try to use that as an argument against him. Try to use that as an argument to insult our God. You know, it usually goes like this. It's called the problem of evil. And they'll argue, well, okay, if there is this God, like you say thats there is, that who is all-powerful and all-loving, why is there evil? there shouldn't be evil and since because there is evil one there is no god or two he's not all powerful or three he's not all loving it's got to be one of those things now those are some false arguments those are some false dichotomies god is not the cause of evil but he can sovereignly direct the evil that occurs to fulfill his purposes just like he did with babylon God did not make Babylon evil. God did not make them pagan. They were just following their own hearts. They were doing their own thing. But God used them for his reasons. And God at any time can use whatever he wants for his eternal purposes. He may allow things to happen in the world and to us to develop our character. He may allow things to happen to us or in the world as judgment or discipline. He may allow things to happen that will bring a greater good later on. And there's probably a ton of other reasons I could give, just don't have the time. And and we see that here. Yes, he is using a pagan nation to discipline his people, take them into captivity, destroy the temple, everything. And so, yeah, Babylon had Judah under its thumb but God has everything under his. So Babylon, they have, there's actually several different times that they took people into captivity. In 605 BC was probably the first time they took a bunch of people into captivity. They took the best, they took the brightest of the young people, they took the Harvard grads or whatever, Harvard-bound people, however you might want to put it, to come to Babylon, train in their schools so they could serve in the government. They would learn sciences. They would learn philosophies, mathematics, and, 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 and all of that. But it's interesting, seeing the sovereignty of God again, even in the midst of what we would say for the Jews was not a very good situation. He used that to put his own people in areas of influence. He put Daniel and his three friends into areas of influence so they could influence the king, so they could influence Babylon, they could influence the people. God used a seemingly bad situation, deportation, or we might want to call it kidnapping, to put the pieces in place that he wanted in place to do what he wanted to do. He put Daniel and the boys where he wanted them so that he could use them for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And and this is a great reminder to us that we might not be in the midst of the most ideal circumstances in life, but God has put us where we are for something. God is, is moving his plan of redemption along in the world and you have a part of it now that that does not mean that because you are a part of God's plan that he won't put you in some uncomfortable places he will put you in uncomfortable places I'm not sure why we think that well if I'm part of in that God's plan is for us to be comfortable I mean, can anyone find in Scripture anywhere that says God's plan is for you to be comfortable? Man, so often people, when they share the gospel, this is how they share the gospel. Well, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but I'll tell you what's wrong with that. It gets translated or mistranslated, might be a better way to put it, that God has a plan that's going to somehow align with your plans and God's here to fulfill your dreams. That's how it gets translated. Now, problem number one, that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him raised. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Problem number two is that that makes it sound like God is just going to do whatever he can to make you comfortable that your life somehow will not include discomfort. That your life somehow wouldn't even include suffering or death. How dare you say that? My God would never send me to my death. Try telling that to the first century Christians who were thrown to the lions. Were they dishonoring God? Were they somehow out of God's plan? Were they somehow more wicked than us? I only doubt that. I mean, look at his own apostles. All of them, except maybe John, were martyred. Look at Daniel and the boys swept away into a foreign land, conscripted to serve in a foreign government, and that was God's plan. And so you know what? God, who is sovereign, has put you where you are at this time in a hostile environment for his own plans, for his own purposes, for his own own glory and we want to do it faithfully and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come so let's get let us get a biblical perspective on things I know everyone's going to leave here going boy that was a warm and fuzzy message that was given tonight but uh, look we got to get real We have got to be biblical. If you want, look, if you want your ears tickled, go watch the guy on TV who has better hair than me. And a whole lot whiter teeth than me. But if you want the truth, get into the Word. God has brought you here and is raising you up in this generation in this hostile place to make a difference for him and for his kingdom and for his work, not for you and your comfort. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 AM. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.